0: DBA is a place for everyone, doubters and believers alike, to discuss theology, current events, and a rediscovery of radical hope. Find us on Facebook at doubters forward slash believers alliance and on Instagram at doubters believers. Good morning everyone. Welcome to Doubters Believers Alliance. Sorry, we're a tad bit late. Um, Anybody who knows me knows I like to start right on time, but hey, who is really um, counting? Um, We were just ordering some drinks up at the bar, some coffee, some juice, some good old soda, and uh, there was a big order that came in, and so I kind of got pushed down to the bottom. Um, so, we're here. Um, Amanda and Ava are here, my cheering cheering crowd today. Um, yeah. So, happy Sunday, as always. I'm glad that people can tune in or um, listen whenever they can, whether it's live or in person or when it comes up on the podcast stream. Um, as always... Amanda will be in charge of all the comments and questions, so if you have comments and questions, please um, write them in there. Um, I'll get to them as soon as possible. Um, hope everyone had a good week since I saw each other last week. Um, I will say if you hear a small child in the background, it's Ava. Um, she's, she's back after three weeks of her kind of not feeling good and Amanda staying at home watching her. So we're, uh, we're back at it. I also want to uh, say how proud I am of my wife, Amanda, for her art, art and craft sale that she did yesterday, her shop, the Misfit Addict. We were gone all day at a, an event called Art in the Hollow. Um, it was really cool to see a whole bunch of artisans and vendors and, um, see just, you know, all these cool things of dolls to stickers, to art prints, to painted skateboards, to just artists creating a whole bunch of different things. And it was at a brewery right next to a brewery. So it was really, um, just a fun, beautiful Saturday to be out there with the family. Um, glad that it's done. Cause that was a long day of being out there. Um, yeah. Um, Other, I don't know, housekeeping notes that I'm going to say is a couple things for at least DBA. If any of you, and I posted this a while back, I don't know if people are scared of commenting or or seeing if there's something they want to say. But um, just if you you want me to talk about something, whether I've talked about it on here before or on the Sacred Collective feed... um, this isn't just for me obviously i'm not up here i don't need to be up here talking to people about my version of things or my things but it's really just for all of us we're this community um of doubters believers alliance and you know your questions your thoughts your ideas what's going on in your head is is important and it's stuff that um you know if it's important to you it's important to us and i will try my best to get it so we've we've had several people um, write in um, on some comments and some topics they want me to explore so I'm gonna take the next number of weeks probably the next month or so starting off today of just kind of jumping into certain topics and some of these topics might not be as important to you whoever listens or watch or some of them might be um, of an extreme amount of importance so Obviously, listen, talk, or listen um, as much as you want. We really appreciate it. The other thing I will say before kind of jumping into this talk is um, you guys know that I do Sacred Collective, that that podcast, um, and lately, especially during the pandemic, we've been um, trying, to, you know, now that most people are vaccinated, at least here in the cities, um, there's been a big push to um kind of meet in a group again and have those conversations as well. not saying that those um not saying that those uh interviews that I've been doing are gonna end, but then also caleb um our beloved Caleb he's gonna help me out with some interviews too to kind of get him more involved so things are some moving and changing um with that. I got some really good. Upcoming guests coming up um, in October. Um, I have a, a repeat guest, um, Ashley, come on. Her story. She's coming on here this week, and then a couple other people who um, have really impacted me and have impacted the community were there. At one was a former professor um, who deconverted and who is one of my professors and that's going to be a good talk and another one that i'm not gonna say yet um but i'm really excited about this individual to come on the podcast and talk about um his story his story's quite quite powerful um and and is still quite powerful as it's an un- un- unfolding so i'm gonna all that aside i'm going to um jump on in if you see what, when you scrolled on to watch this or listen to it, the title is, what does the Bible say? Or what I think is, what does the, what does the Bible say? And I had a couple people reach out to me and say that they wanted to have me talk about a whole host of things. Kind of, I knew that they were, um, evangelical is the way they, they were brought up and the way they were, um, and the way they, uh, I know this person quite well. But um, the one thing that they wanted to talk about, and I thought was going to be the most important, because it's still pretty prevalent in a lot of churches, is that on homosexuality. So what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Um, and like I said, keep comments coming in if you want. Amanda will tell me them at the end, or if I see them and I can get to them real quick. I'll talk to it too. So, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Well, people certain people depending on who you talk to, some will say a lot, some will say not a lot. Um and I'm going to be one of those people that says the Bible doesn't talk a lot at all about homosexuality and in fact, not only does it not talk a lot about it, but it doesn't condemn it in the way evangelical Christians think that it condemns it. Now, there's a thing that you will hear about depending on what side of the coin of the church you fall on or the, if you were a part of the church that you fall on, and there's these things called the clobber passages. Clobber passages are just literally meant to mean passages that people use to clobber someone over the head with saying this or that is wrong we have it within homosexuality we have it you know end times rapture stuff we have it on you know premarital sex we have it on drinking and so on and so forth but what you're going to see me throughout this conversation say today is a lot of these people who use these clobber passages are doing it um because they want their version, they want their narrative of said whatever to um, to be the right way, even though it might just be their opinion. So I'm not going to read all of these um, just because we would be here all day just reading through the scripture. Um, I know Amanda uh, ahead of time is kind of put the the written, the scripture verses down. So she's going to put them on here on the screen for you. So um, if you want to, to just um, re-engage yourself in this scripture, you can, or I'm just saying these are the scripture verses that people use to um, use clobber passages. And obviously if this traumatic for you, you don't want to read that. That's fine. I'm just kind of more or less, if I'm talking about these things in the Bible, I want to give you um, where where it's at. So the first one is Genesis nineteen one verses one through thirty eight, and that's the narrative of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we've heard we've heard people, I've heard people my whole life talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, it's that story where Sodom and Gomorrah were so horrible, so nasty, so um, sexual you know, immoral that God had to come down and smite everyone and everything there. But, um, what people failed to realize, and I didn't know this until I was actually in college. Um, and I think what was really cool in college, um, I didn't think so at the time because I was super conservative, but, uh, we had this, there was this group out, I don't know if they're still around, but it was um, Soul Force, where it was a bunch of young, uh, college-age queer men and women who would come to schools that were predominantly evangelical, that were predominantly conservative, and they would want to have dialogue. They would want to say, hey, we're not. we're hopefully wanting you to change your mind, but we're wanting to have a dialogue, we're wanting to have a conversation um and my school where i was at at the time at north central vehemently was against that they had their narrative and that was problematic and then i remember my good old friend tim um had said he was teaching an old testament class i wasn't in it but of course there was kind of reverberations because it was such a small school And he was actually talking about the Pentateuch, which the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Old Testament. And so he brought this, and he had no idea, he was telling me he had no idea that soul force was around school this week or this time. And his main thing, what he said is, and he's an Old Testament scholar, he has his PhD in Old Testament, so this guy knows what he's talking about. And what he said was the real reason and the main reason God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah was not because of homosexuality or same-sex love. It was because of the lack of hospitality. And really, and if you've heard me say this before in other talks, I will say it again. What is critical in the Bible, what is critical, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, is not about necessarily if you're living this perfect life or not, it is community it is being hospitable and like i've told you in the bible times which it should be still but in the bible times it says that if a stranger or a wanderer was coming into your town into your house they knocked on your door it was culturally appropriate and and you had to give them shelter give them housing give them food for a certain amount of days and i want to say it was 3 to day, 3 days 3 to 5 days so like half a week to a week and it didn't matter who they were it didn't matter man woman child family if they knocked on your door and they needed a place to stay you would they would stay there with you and then after a certain amount of time you could say hey you know we did what we needed to do and what we could do now on to the next and that but so many Christians, especially evangelical Christians, and I don't know, I'm not familiar with Catholicism, but a lot of people will say, oh, we'll see, look, at it, it says something about sexual immorality here. It says something about being gay here. Um, so that must be the reason why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah is cause they were, because they practiced homosexuality. And it's not that at all. What it is was the lack of hospitality. And anywhere you read in the scripture, you see Jesus being so mad and so frustrated, especially at the religious people, to say, you say you love me. You say you want to follow my teachings. However, you can't even give basic human decency to other people. You can't even give people a place to lay their head. You can't give a you know food um, on your table for them. And so that is the why God destroyed these things, because he was saying, you're following me, you're following Yahweh, which was God's name in the Old Testament, but you can't do this. But yet the narrative was pushed that, oh, it had to be homosexuality that did this. And once you start deconstructing that, you realize, no, this has nothing to do about homosexuality. And I'll tell people, there has been queer people, gay people, since the beginning of time. It's not something new. There has been people like that since the inception of humanity, whatever you believe about humanity, how we got here or not. There's always been queer people. There will always be queer people. Um, and so we need to stop, anybody needs to stop with the understanding that oh some you know being gay or or the openness of the queer community is something new or relatively new that's just preposterous so let's get that out of the way um the next one is leviticus um chapter 18 um 22 and then 2013 simply with this and leviticus is one of those books that i absolutely cannot stand because people were like, oh, hey, look at Brian, it's in the Bible. You can't say that this is right or this is wrong, da-da-da-da-da. The book of Leviticus is not written to anybody except for the tribe of Levi, the Levites, Leviticus. That was literally, so if any time it says anything in there about homosexuality, like these two chapters or they talk about it, People will say, oh, see, Brian, and and people have used that to me. Oh, see, Brian, look it, it says you shouldn't be gay, and it's here in Leviticus. And I was like, no, that was to the tribe of Levi. It was to, it was the Levitical law, and that is, so it was in their practice. Whether I agree with it or not, it was to those sets of people, and we have to realize there was Israelites, there was Assyrians, there was all these different people in this time and so it would be no different if it to me i would look at it if it was like oh this this tribe of swedes this tribes of italians and whatever and it was just this particular group of people that had this levitical law and that they were agreeing and so if someone's looking at it two thousand years later and they're trying to make this clobber passage of why being gay is wrong you simply have to look at them and say that was written for a specific group of people at a specific time. I disagree why it's even needed in there, but in this certain people's group, and just, just look at it now, like in Russia, for instance, they've made it, Putin, I think, if I'm not mistaken, has made it literally illegal to be queer in that country. But that doesn't mean being queer... Is illegal all over the world, or in America, or wherever. I most of the world looks at russian and is like, "You're dumb. Why are you doing this?" The, you know, queer people are great. I have a ton of queer friends, and it's just preposterous to to think that someone can b- look at the Book of Leviticus and try to use that as any clever passage. And not just that. You know me. You can see me. I have tattoos all over. In Leviticus, it says not to have a tat, you know, you shouldn't get tattooed well. And so people have used that so many times in my life, not as much anymore because it's so mainstream and so accepted. But when I started getting tattoos, people are like, oh, Brian, you know, what are you going to do? You know, your body's a temple of God and you get all these tattoos. It says in Leviticus that you can't get this and you would have to go to them and say that was to a certain group of people in a certain time. You have to read it in a context, which you're clearly not doing. And I would look at them and I would say, so it does not even say that you can't get tattoos. And when they were talking about tattoos in Leviticus, they were tattooing themselves for the dead. They were tattooing themselves to pagan gods. They were tattooing themselves as a form of mutilation to appease other gods and other beings and deities and so the people who believed in god were like oh so you shouldn't get tattooed well yes that was in that context at that time does not mean anything about why someone gets tattooed now and also in there in the 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 list of do's and don'ts in the levitical law it says men should never shave their beard well guess what every time i shave which is like every other day i'm sinning i should go to hell it says not to eat shellfish. If you like seafood and you eat anything that's a shellfish, like lobster or shrimp or crab, and you peel, you know, any of that stuff, you're sinning. If you wear something, look at your clothes that you're wearing right now. If it's made more than just with one material, then you're sinning because those were things that said in the Bible. My whole point saying with that is how preposterous that is. And That is a huge clobber passage where people talk about homosexuality. Where like, see, it's wrong. And my whole point is what you're going to see throughout this talk is how people misconstrue the teachings of Jesus, misconstrue the teachings of God, because they want to alienate a certain group of people or alienate something so other people will say it's wrong. And you know me, and I've said this unabashedly, I support the queer community. I support GLBTQI+. Because they've gotten a bad shake, they've gotten a ba- they've gotten bad treatment, not by just Christians, by a lot of people in culture and society, and and a lot of people use these clobber passages to say, "Oh, well, see, we can do this," not to treat them poorly, but to say that they're wrong. And you know, and I've heard this my whole life. Well, we got to love the sinner, we got to love the person, but hate the sin. Well, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. That That's not anywhere in the Bible. Anywhere in the Bible, it always says love, 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 accept, accept, accept. That's that's it. If you want someone to love you and accept you, then you have to love and accept them. No, no questions asked. And that is what pisses Christians off so many times, especially evangelical Christians, is they're like, well, I can love you, Brian, but you do this, 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 and this. Or I can love you you know, Joe Schmo, but you, you do this, this, and this. And I've said to those people all the time, that is not love unconditional. That's love with parameters. That's love with conditions. And that is literally not what Christ preaches in his whole walk. The other one is first Corinthians six, nine through 11, um, which that deals with the kind of like sexual perversion in Corinth. Um, I'm just going to go through these quick and then we can talk about them throughout. Um, I don't want to get too deep here on Sunday morning. Um, Then there's one in Jude, the book of Jude, um, chapter 6 through 7. And then there's cult prostitution, which is in Romans chapter 1, verses 25 through 27. So these are all, quote-unquote, the clobber passages that People have used for a long time within Christianity a long long time, and they should be problematic and the one of the biggest issues that I've seen and one of the reasons I left and i've made this clear I've made this clear in my talk yes, last week about my story and I've made it clear in conversations I've had with people one huge reason why I left the evangelical world, why I left the evangelical fold was because of their views on homosexuality. And I can remember at like as as young as 12 or 13, I'm 38 guys, and as young as like at even 10, 11, 12, I would be writing notes to my parents in the service and being like, where are my, you know, gay brothers and sisters? Meaning if the church is open and free and loving for everyone, why are people not like me? And it wasn't just them but i was like where are the prostitutes where are the black people where are the asians where are the um you know where are all these people that that i'm told that god loves and god accepts and god calls them as his own but yet you're not accepting them and these clobber passages are, are yes, and people might be like, well, Brian, but they're in the Bible. They're in the Bible, so they must mean something. Well, I'm going to be the first one to tell you there are certain books and chapters in the Bible, this is my hot take, that probably shouldn't be in it. And because literally how the Bible became the Scripture, became the canon, was a bunch of men, yes, men, who were, I don't know whether they were wealthy, they obviously knew how to read and write when most people didn't, but they literally had church councils where they sat wherever, probably drinking some wine, probably having servants around them or whatever, and they were say, and obviously this was centuries after the fact, when they were putting the Bible together, and they were like, yep, this goes in here, yep, this doesn't go in here. It was literally like a democratic vote when you sit down and vote as a family or vote at a work or whatever, if voting something in or out, that is literally how they put the Bible together. And I know I'm making it a, a more broad strokes, but that is literally how the canon was put together. So when people are like, well, the Bible's the inerrant, inspired word of God, da-da-da, everything in there needs to be in there. And I'm like, really? Because once you look at it in its context, once you look at it, it out actually how books got into the Bible and how books didn't get put in the Bible, it, 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 it shows you that it was just a hodgepodge and people don't even realize. Like Revelation, that book in the Bible that was like the last book in, quote-unquote, the canon that Christians use, it was one of the first books that is in the Bible that was agreed upon because it was so fresh and it was so new that book was written um i want to say maybe in 60 or 70 a.d and that was one of the first books and people also a lot of i mean they had the old testament don't get me wrong the pentateuch because that's what um the ancient jews looked upon but especially within the new testament and we have to realize the book like all these books of the bible were written by people in their cultural context Viewing and looking at their society, their culture, in their world, in their lens. Okay, when you look at and I, when when I get into conversations with people about religion and in politics from back then, or or just cultural stuff, I'm always I always look at them and say, you got to look at the culture. You cannot take these scriptures out of the contextual world that it lives in. And that is literally, and what's so funny is being at a conservative seminary where I went, there's a thing called hermeneutics, which is literally the art and science of interpretation of, and there's a way to read scripture, and they always would bash us over the head with, you gotta make sure you were not um, doing improper exegesis, meaning Putting something in the text that shouldn't be, taking something out of the text that shouldn't be. You got to look at where was, why was this written, who was it written to, what you know that what is the author's intent. Just like I love horror novels, Amanda likes certain novels that she reads. Um, there's always an, in, an an intent that the author has from when he or she starts writing the book till the end of the book. There's always an intent that this person is trying to convey so we need to know the author's intent. And so it bothers me to know, and when we look at certain past, passages in scripture, and it might be one verse on, on the fringe of whatever, and then someone says, we're going to base our entire theology, we're going to base entire doctrines off of these things. It's just it's just preposterous. I mean, that's, I guess that's my word of the day because I've said it like six times. But it just shows you how, just how absolutely off-base people are. And the one thing I will say is the Bible, when it talks about homosexuality, it talks nothing about homosexuality in a loving, mono, or not monogamous, but loving consensual way all the times that homosexuality is talked about in the Bible including these clobber passages was when it has to do with forced uh, forced homosexuality when a a homosexual act is forced upon somebody in a situation that they did not want to experience so let that be let that sit there Nothing in the Bible when it talks about homosexuality has nothing, nothing to say about consensual, saying that it's wrong to have consensual, you know, same-sex relations. It has nothing, it says nothing about bisexuality. It says nothing about being trans. And people are like, well, what does that mean? That it means that it's not a big deal to them back then. It means that obviously they knew, obviously these people have been around, obviously queer people, like I've said, have been around since the inception of humanity. Literally when the Bible talks about homosexuality, they're coming down and scolding people who are practicing homosexuality in a violent way and especially in ways that it's been used upon and forced upon people who do not, uh, give consent to do it. And we obviously, we live in a culture now and in a time now, and I wish it was always like this, where consent is key. You know, you, you when you date, even when you're married, I can't just go up to Amanda and my wife and say, I'm going to have sex with you. No ifs, ands, or buts. You're going to have to deal with it. Yet I have to get her permission. I have to say, can we do this? And people might be like, oh, well, Brian, she's your wife. No, because she's her own person. I'm my own person. We're our own autonomous self. Yes, we're married, but I can't force myself upon her or she can't force herself upon me. It's a mutual agreement. It's a mutual consensual agreement that we have. And all throughout scripture, you see when they talk about sex and sexual immorality, it's not people being consensual whether same-sex relationships or not same-sex relationships. It's always about forced homosexual behavior on someone as a form of of power or whatever. So, first of all, one of the things where the one in Corinthians was pediastry. What people don't, what pediatry is, was literally, and this gets really in depth, and I'm sorry, but this is, people wanted me to talk about this, so I'm talking about it. But pediatry literally is, was the raping of young boys, obviously under 18, in essence, pretty boys, whatever we would want to call them now, but it was rich men probably religious men um, who whether they were married or not would literally find these men young boys and rape them and anybody who knows any kind of rape whether it's same sex or you know different sexes rape is ultimate form of humiliation it's the ultimate power grab it's taking your, your um, freedom, your autonomous choice. It's taking consent away, and it's saying, I'm doing this because you have no choice. I'm doing this because I have power, and I have control over you. That is a big thing. A lot of the parts where it talks about homosexuality in the Bible, and evangelical Christians forget to bring that part up, has nothing to do with consensual. It is like, yeah, so there was this homosexual act that someone did, but it wasn't in a loving, consensual way. It was rape. It was Um Sometimes with cult prostitution, they wrapped it up in religion. Um, you had cult prostitutes who would literally go to the temple and, you know, say, "Hey, if you have sex with me, um, God will, Yahweh will listen to this." And sometimes it was women sleeping with women and men sleeping with men or orgies or whatever. But and that, when I mean, people will say, well, see, and the Bible says it's wrong. But you have to realize that was coercion. It was people literally coming in there being like, you can't talk to God. You can't listen to God. We're not going to bring your prayers to Yahweh unless you do this. So it was coercion. There wasn't a choice. There wasn't this um, freedom to choose. So you're starting to see in these stories, these clobber passages that certain Christians use, are not holding any weight, because you will look at them and you will see, you'll see the theme of when God or prophets or the epistles, when they talk about homosexuality, they look at it, they look at it um, as well. See, it says homosexuality, and I'll get to this at the end. They didn't even really have a word. For homosexuality, back in the Bible times, they had certain phrases or, or certain uh, uh, view of it. And in my research that I've done all over, you know, I mean, I'm not a biblical scholar. I mean, I, I'm obviously seminary trained and got two terminal degrees, but a lot of times, even in Bible times, people knew that people were gay. Kings slept with men they slept with women, they slept with men, they had orgies, whatever. That was just the thing that people did. People still do that now. I mean, look at professional athletes, look at musicians. You hear people say all the time, oh, I'm, um, you know, I've, I sleep with my wife and I'm in an open marriage or I whatever. And people are like, oh, wow, that's horrible. That's whatever. You know what? My whole point is people have been doing this stuff since the beginning of time, and I don't think God really has a problem with it as long as it's consensual, as long as both people are in agreement, and as long as it's not a coerced uh, things. As so, and and I will say this, and I'm not just saying this to the evangelical churches, but when you look at the evangelical church and you look in their doctrines, you look in their bylaws, almost all of them say, we believe in, you know, marriage between one man and one woman, and they'll give all these scripture verses, which are these clobber passages. But if they're honest with themselves, they know that they're taking it out of context. It's this, it's just because that's what they've always done you know, sometimes I would ask my parents, why do we do this? Why do we say this? Why do humans do this? And their response was well, because, because we've always done this or because it's, it's tradition or it's whatever. I'm watching the show right now. Um, and it's kind of like a horror show called Midnight Mass and has a lot to do with like Catholicism and, and sin and, and all the stuff with a twinge of, of scariness in it. But there was an inner there was a a scene where this guy gets out of prison he was a christian he was an altar boy and he's an atheist now and he looks at his dad and he's like church isn't for me you know like god isn't for me and his dad was like well that's convenient like why isn't god for you or whatever and he's like uh i forget exactly what he said but he was like uh and, and the son was like well what's the point of communion? What's the point of the Eucharist? And he's like, well, it's just tradition. It's just what we do. And I look at people, and it's like how often in Christianity it's like, oh, it's just what we do. Well, why do we do this? Well, I don't know. It's just what we do. Let's not stir the pot. And I think that's within these views of homosexuality where people are like, well, why do we think it's wrong? Well, why do we think it's wrong? Well, my mom said it was wrong. My dad said it was wrong my grandparents said it was wrong um, all my family says it's wrong so I guess it must be wrong and then you realize as you get older you're like <clears throat> well well, why is that it's not wrong you know my my parents or my grandparents or whoever the church said oh my you know these queer people are gonna go to hell and you know they're, they're perverts they're this and this and then you meet them and you're like wait a second they're just as loving as me Sometimes they're more loving than me, and then you start to get this like weird thought in your head, and when you're like, "What? Wait, wait, why? Why are they less than? Why are they not equal to me? Why? Why? Are, why are people telling me?" And that's what went into my head, folks. I was getting all these mixed signals from family members, from the church, from whatever, and then when I was sit down and read these scriptures, and then even getting into college and seminary. I had this like rustle in my heart and in my mind saying they're, they're reading these scriptures out of context, they're, they're th- the churches and these people are wanting to control the narrative to say, see, we believe this, you know, and I would remember saying to like my grandma, I love her to, you know, till the day she died, still love her, but she would always say about how bad homosexuality is, and I would say, give me your scripture, and I w- she would tell me these scriptures, these clobber passages, and I said, you're reading them out of context this was not written. You have to realize that when somebody says something about Corinth, it's not therefore saying you transpose that into 20th or 21st century America or 20th or 21st century world. That was for the city of Corinth at a time. And there was a lot of sexual perversion in Corinth, but a lot of the sexual perversion was crazy amounts of prostitution, crazy amounts of incest, Crazy amounts of like moms and stepsons sleeping and all that stuff, and most people in the world today still would look at that and be like, yeah, that's pretty nasty that's pretty gross so it, we're reading things out of context, and like I said, so the two the two biggest things to take away from this, and I have some other notes i 'm not it's not going to be a super long talk because I don't think it has to be. Let's be honest, it doesn't have to be. The the sex, the homosexuality that is brought up in Scripture in these clapper passages have nothing to do about the consensual same-sex relationships that people have today. Now, I'm not talking about polyamory or... um, non-ethical monogamy we could get into that at a different time but this was asked of me to talk about what does things say in the bible about homosexuality but everything in all my reading in all my research will say this the talk about homosexuality that we see is all forced all coerced and that is where god comes down and says this is wrong This is inappropriate. This is perverted. And I think all of us would say, whether we are gay, straight, anywhere in between, we would say, yes, coercion, not being able to give consent, being forced into doing that would be wrong, whether it's same gender or even heterosexual, we would all say you need that consent. You need that mutual uh, submission to each other. And literally the scripture is saying, if you do this, if you do this in this way, it's wrong. And yes, we don't hear them say, "Well, well, if you do it with consent, then that's okay. But I think we're supposed to get the gist of, if this is wrong and we're supposed to not, have relationships in a in a violent coercive non-consensual way then if we do do that in a consensual in a non-violent in a non coercive way then that's appropriate and we don't talk about that and i tell people all the time the bible is a very difficult book to understand because people just people just open it up and and we'll say oh yep this is what it says right here And that's just not true. And like I said, uh, and you look all throughout um, the Old and New Testament, you see pediastry, which is literally raping of young young boys and young men. And the one thing I said, um, then this just gives me the heebie-jeebies, and then I'll give some closing thoughts of my own, and then we'll go to some questions is men, especially in the Bible times, when, let's say, warring countries were fighting or even within countries you had different tribes and people group always fighting. And this is sometimes where people allude to about homosexuality. But it goes again to this coercion. It goes again to not being given a choice. But what the winning... But what the winning group of people, the winning group of people would always do this. You know, now, like if America wins World War II, we come we come back, like, and you see like in New York City and all over the country, you see people cheering. You see people like, yes, I get to see my spouse and you know, the women who are working in the factories to make ammunition and stuff. We, it, it's this sense of like, oh, finally the war's over. Oh, finally we can get back to normal. And I'm not a big fan of war whatsoever, I'm more pacifistic, but in the Bible times, when a, when a tribe or a country would beat another country, and mind you, back then, very patriarchal, very misogynistic, but what the men would do to the losing group, and mind you, these people were away from their spouses, they were away from their family for weeks, months, if not years, and what they would do as an ultimate form of humiliation what they was they would rape not all not all people not all people but they would rape the losing people they would the whatever country whatever people group lost they would rape them as an ultimate form of humiliation because that's what rape is it's humiliation it's you not having power it's you feeling lower than low so I'm sorry, the people in the Bible were more fucked up and more messed up than we are ever in this current context in our life. You would never see people in in the world now doing that to people. I can't say certain tribes or wherever in, in other parts of the world if they do that or not. But by and large, that is a no-no. When you're done in war and you lost, you go home, tails between your legs, and it's done, it's over and that is so a lot in the bible not a lot everywhere in the bible when it talks about homosexuality It's in a way, we have to read it in the context. It was not written for us. So when a church, whether it's a Pentecostal church, a Baptist church, a Catholic church, whatever, if they say, oh, being gay is wrong, they, I'm telling you right now, folks, they are looking at that scripture out of context. And I know people would, if they say that, see see me, they'll be like, well, you're taking it out of context. Okay, you can say that. But I'm being, I think, true to the point. I'm getting past what my church says, past what my denomination says, and I'm saying, what does this really say? What is this this really getting at? And like I said, through all my studying and through all my research, I can find this, is that homosexuality, when talked about in the Bible, is talked about in negative ways only when it's done in violent, rape, coercion, non-consensual, and non-participatory, and that is why God, and that is why prophets, that is why other writers in the New Testament talk so down against it, is because that is what they were saying is nothing sexually, whether it's homosexuality, same-gendered, or heterosexuality, everything needs to be in mutual respect for one another, and you, you read even in parts of the Bible where it talks about um, you know heterosexual romance and heterosexual love and people will say oh well like it says men should have power over women and da 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 no that's bullshit and really what it gets down to is there's supposed to be a mutual submission to each other is i love my wife so i'm going to do things that she wants me to do because she's my wife and i want to make her happy vice versa it's a 50-50 communal thing and I think that is what the Bible is trying to bring out in any kind of relationship, even in friendships, not even any sort of sexual relationship, but there should be a 50-50, you know, connection with them. I don't have, I'm not a friend over a friend or he or she's not over me, but it's this communal um 50% we're in this together. And that is all throughout, I think, scripture when it talks about friendships, when it talks about creating church and community is supposed to be done together in a community. And churches that are against homosexuality are trying to control certain aspects of the narrative. People who aren't smart at reading the Bible, people who haven't went to seminary and saying, Hey, see, see, look at it. it says being being gay is wrong. No. And not to beat a dead horse, but I will say this again. The only time it says that homosexuality is wrong is in a perversion way of, and what I mean that is pediatry rape, um, non-consensual, violent. And we would all admit that that's wrong, and whether it's heterosexual or homosexual. The last couple of notes I want to say is, I found this... Um, Online, it was actually I can maybe find it and put it in the notes later. But it was a Christian pastor who it's like queer theology, and so they're like a historian. And I got this from from one of their slides presentation that they did. Um, so it's kind of fun food for thought. It wasn't until the first century A.D., so first century after Christ was out of the scene, that a philosopher named Philo of Alexandria mistakenly equated the city's grave sins with homosexuality, Sodom and Gomorrah. Even after that, though, it took centuries for Christians to embrace the philosopher's misinterpretation, and thus the term Sodomite was born. So when you hear Sodomite, yeah, they go back to the Bible times, and it's you know named after Sodom. And so people mistakenly, all throughout Christian history for 1,900 years, We're like, oh, well, see, that's why that Sodom was destroyed, because of the rampant homosexuality, um, gay sex or whatever. And Philo, who was a uh, a theologian and a philosopher, misinterpreted it, misquoted what he said or, or someone misquoted what he said, and it took centuries for people to find it and be like, whoa, 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 this is wrong. This isn't right. So that's interesting. As for Leviticus, the part that says they all shall not lay with mankind, new research indicates that the passage that the passage um which appears to condemn sodomy once permitted it. The law in question was instead forbidding uh I can't even read it. oh uh cause of incest and the current text was added years later by an editor. So the part in Leviticus where it's we say that clobber passage is about homosexuality, no, it was written about incest. And I don't care who you are, religious person or not, we're all I think most people in the world, most cultures in the world, whether regardless of religion or creed, most people will say incest is wrong, it's disgusting, you should not have sex with any member of your family. And then an editor later on after Leviticus was written, was like, "Mm, you know what? I'm not smart. I don't know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to put sodomite in there or sodomy, which is what people thought about homosexuality. They called you a sodomite. So you're finding that out of this, we're finding that, hey, you know, homosexuality isn't it, it, when people wrote about it, even in the Bible, they were misinterpreted by editors after the fact that it was written because people did not like this or maybe, I don't know. But you can see how this is coming apart. Until the 12th century, the Catholic Church permitted its priests to be open about their same-sex desires and even have relationships with other men. It was up until the 12th century is in the 12th century. So 1,200 years after Christ was on the scene, and if we look upon Peter and what it says in the Bible that Peter, Jesus says, you are going to be the start of the church. You're going to take this ministry and my teachings and build something with it. And now you see in Catholic churches, like priests can't be married to anyone. They can't, you know, homosexual or straight. But it was up until the twelfth century that somehow, some way the Pope, the Cardinals said, Nope, nope, we can't do this. They were even so the Catholics, up until that century, the eight hundreds, the nine hundreds, five hundreds, not only could you have a priest that was Catholic, but he could be gay, and they were okay with it. And it's interesting now how we've went so conservative and are against that and not permitted. Catholic priests to marry anyone, man or woman. In 1179, as part of the church's effort to consolidate its power by scapegoating Jews and Muslims and sexual minorities, the Third Lateran Council outlawed sodomy. From then on, the church used that word to demonize queer activity for centuries thereafter. So it's a small group of individuals Way, 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 way before our time. Not Jesus. Not even most of the church fathers. And this is the thing I tell people all the time. You hear church fathers, desert fathers, desert mothers. You hear prophets and all these people. And people are like, yep, they're all against homosexuality. They're all against this. They're all against that. No. It was people centuries after Jesus was on the scene. Centuries after what we read in the Bible about stuff were then people coming out and saying, hey, you know what? The Bible never really talked about this issue, but we want to talk about the issue and we want to say that it's wrong. So we're going to go back because we're smart and we're educated and we're going to change it to say that this is wrong. And it just boggles my mind how so many Christians in the world Arguments that I get I got a flyer in the mail the other day from a church I don't know a couple miles down the road and they're saying they're having this huge prophetic conference and one of one of their keynote speakers is going to talk about how homosexuality is destroying America and I'm like what people are still why are people still talking about this the evidence is in the evidence is there that being queer, being gay is not wrong. And it breaks my heart why the church, so so often in the church, people are trying to push this narrative and push this attitude of, of how it's wrong. I know we've gotten a lot of comments that's come on, if Amanda can read some to me, just so I don't have to scroll up. Okay, I'm gonna use this. So a couple of these. Someone said, in my experience, homosexuality is one of the biggest sins spoken of in evangelical churches. There are so many sins that are overlooked that are more common within the church, but this seems to be a common focus for evangelical churches. It's something I've had to unlearn based on my own research and beliefs. Um, so glad to hear it spoken out. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, and in evangelical churches, I don't know why. I don't know why sexual issues um are so big and why they're so important and i'm like we don't talk about loving your neighbor we don't talk about giving to the poor you know these are the the main thing i mean like i tell people all the time the main messages that jesus gave was to love your neighbor as yourself give to the poor turn your other cheek when someone's in need you help them but in most evangelical churches it's like hey you know what you know what, brother, you're struggling with your same-sex addictions, you know, bring it to God. Oh, you know you know what, brother, you want to have sex with your girlfriend? You know, what? I don't understand. I am literally at a loss for words why people want to control that narrative. And it's wrong. I mean, I grew up in a purity culture. Amanda grew up in purity culture. I'm sure a lot of us watching grew up in purity culture and it's preposterous of controlling someone's body to say it's right or wrong for them to do whatever they want is, is absurd. Another person wrote, I think the more important argument is not what the Bible says or doesn't say, but rather why it doesn't matter what, what the Bible says, because it's dealing with a whole different concept, which you've just touched on, which is true. Um, I agree with that, Ray. Um, I'm bringing this out to try to, I went to seminary. I'm, trained in reading the scriptures and in looking at the texts. And I wanted to just bring this out to say what this says in the Bible is bullshit. It's garbage. It's been misconstrued. It's been misinterpreted for centuries, for millennia. And unless people, myself and other people talk about it, then we're going to perpetuate this stuff, and I don't, it's not my job to go to my family or go to friends and, and, you know, change their mind to say, hey, like, if they think being gay is wrong, but I want to go to them, and I want to challenge them to say, these scriptures that you're using as clobber passages are wrong. You're misinterpreting them, and in a lot of, and I kid you not, folks, I've had people come up to me in seminary that say, you know what? I don't think being gay is wrong, but I can't outright come out and say that it's not wrong because I might lose my job. I might lose my funding. My kids might be out on the street. We might lose our house because, you know, that. I mean, look at Jay. You've heard Jay's story, Jay Baker. He lost all this funding at Revolution because everyone loved his message, but when he came out in full support and of the queer community and not saying that being gay is wrong, everyone left. They loved what he was doing, but when he said everyone is loved in God's image, everyone is created wonderfully and beautifully, and being gay is not wrong. Everyone just left because they could not handle this narrative, and I like what you said, Ray. It shouldn't matter what it says or doesn't say in the Bible, and I agree with you 100%, but unfortunately, so many people, and I know there's some People that even listen who are my family that I feel like need to listen to this, that need to hear this. So that's why I talk about it. Amanda, you wrote I feel like this the topic or issues that the church talks about the most are the ones that make them feel uncomfortable about others. They tend to stay away from the topics that others find uncomfortable about them. That's true. Um, and, and, yeah, and I think, and, I can't tell you how many youth pastors or pastors, even in the own tradition, I grew up in the Assemblies of God, and I will not out anyone here, but I cannot tell you the horror stories that I've heard of pastors who will be up there saying, porn is evil, porn is evil, porn is evil, don't do it, don't do it, it's going to tear apart your marriage, it's going to tear apart how you feel about women or whatever, and then what happens to them? They get caught looking at porn. They'll say, don't have sex before you're married, don't have sex before you're married, it's perversion, it's this. Then you find out, oh, them and their wife who they're married to now had copious amounts of premarital sex. Or you hear people who talk so vehemently against being gay, being gay is wrong, it's an abomination, guess what? They leave their husband or wife and then they're queer. And they say, I had to talk about it because it wasn't who I was or I necessarily thought it was wrong because it was my job. And we talk about what Amanda was saying. What we talk about, um, I want to make sure I get this right, I'm not misconstruing what you're saying, is it makes us uncomfortable. Yeah, sexuality in the evangelical church makes them uncomfortable, so they talk about it, but they don't make any sense when they talk about it. Yeah, and what Amanda said is just like the scripture verse of... um, you're trying to take the speck out of someone's eye when you have a plank in your own eye it's hypocrisy and i can look at my youth pastor that i had growing up mentors they were all like don't do this don't do this and i knew for a fact that they were doing the same shit that they were telling me not to do because it was their job whether they believe it it's right or wrong um I'm so glad that you brought up the women submit to your husband. The next verse speaks of men respecting their spouse. Just so many of these are used out of context. Exactly. Exactly what I said. I can't, I've had professors, I've had pastors talk to me before saying, oh, you know what, um, women, I mean, there's the the, the pastors or the theologians who there's complementarian and egalitarianism, which egalitarianism is women are, are, the same as men, um, everything is 100% equal. But then you have complementarians where they're like, well, there's just certain things men can do better than women, da, da 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 And then they will use these verses that are in the Bible. that's like, well, women submit to your husbands. And it's always freaking taken out of context because it's always like women submit to your husbands, but men also submit to your wives. And that's what I was just saying. It's a 50-50 split. I don't do things, if Amanda's like, Brian, take out the trash because it stinks. I'm not like, woman, you take out the trash. I take out the trash because part of that trash is mine. Part of it's my daughter's, part of it's my wife's, part of it's my cat's when we take out the litter box. But I don't do it because oh my wife won't do it. It's just, I'm going to do it. Or when I ask people all the time, you know I'm like I don't ask my wife if I can go out and do something with my friends. I will say, "Honey, I want to go do this with, you know, I want to go drinking with my friends or go see a movie by myself. Is that okay?" I'm not asking for her permission. And it's not consent. It's saying, "I'm do, I'm wanting to do this, but do you have a doctor's appointment? Is our daughter okay? Do we need to go grocery shopping first? It's it's this submission. It's it's you're doing it out of love you're not doing it out of power or i'm over dynamic and you're under um curtis brought up sodomy is still listed as a crime in minnesota statutes even though a court of case deemed it to be unconstitutional there's a lot of crime and and thank you for bringing that up I, i would probably say in most states sodomy is still on the books as a crime however from what i've understood and researched is no state, even conservative states, would ever cause you to go to prison for that. Like I think most states, supreme courts, even our supreme federal court, even how conservative Trump made it, no one in this country would go to prison for sodomy or for sodomy laws because we say that it's okay we don't think that it's wrong even though so many states it's one of those you you, i would tell everyone go on to your state where you live or your country and just see the obtuse laws that are still on the books that never have been taken off that no court will ever uphold it's just preposterous um Ray wrote, the prohibition on the marriage of priests was essentially due to inheritance laws, but outlawing marriage, the church would inherit estates instead of family members and would preserve its own estate rather than lose to its descendants. Well, there you go. Um, I did not know that, and I think someone else wrote, I've never heard that before. So, yeah, you can tell right there within the church, within the Catholic church, um, why they made that law was not, it was because it benefited themselves, it benefited the Catholic church. It, it benefited their power, their structure. And so instead of priests being able to get married and giving it to their husband or giving it to their wife or giving it to their children, they were like, Nope, you can't get married. And so all your money, all your estate, all your, whatever goes back to us because you have no kin, you have no spouse. And so Ray, thank you. I'm with Curtis. That, that was a, uh, I didn't know that, so that was really in, um, impactful and, and really good. But you just, when it comes back to it, folks, it's it's control. It's um, it's control, and and I am not saying that church is terrible. I'm not trying to tell anybody if they're part of a spiritual community, even like ours, but. When you start hearing people control the narrative of saying you have to believe this, and if you don't believe it, then you're not in our community, walk away. Because, and people will say to me, oh, the Bible, you know, is all about control and wants you to believe this way, this way. And I tell people, but I feel the things that Jesus is talking about is love, turn the other cheek, care for those who don't have what you have. If you take, if you look at that and then look at how most atheists live, most humanists live, most agnostic, most people who don't even say they're Christians, is they're synonymous. And I, what I would say is if you take Jesus out of the equation, which you can, most people are going to say, hey, you know, murder, that's wrong. Rape, that's wrong. Stealing, that's wrong. Murder, that's wrong. Should we give to someone who's less fortunate than us? Yeah. Should I respect everyone and love everyone as I love myself? Yeah. That's my whole point. Is I I think the and I'm trying to make the point too is of like Jesus's message is awesome. It's radical. It's amazing. It's just the church for so many centuries, even currently is messing it up. Um one last thing it was the funny thing Lexi wrote, in my small town, it's still a law you can be hung for stealing a horse. Well, that was obviously uh, a law that is really old. Um, I want to say, I don't know if it's in Minnesota or Michigan, there's a law that you can't carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket on Sundays. Why would you ever want to put an ice cream cone in your back pocket? It is, or any pocket is beyond me, but these dumb laws. Um... I'm going to wrap up for now. Uh, Thanks you to everyone who's listened, who's watched. Keep writing the comments if you want. I always, as I say all the time, I look back throughout the week at them. If you really like this and you think someone would benefit from hearing, just show them this link or tell them that it'll be up on the Sacred Collective feed um, next week. Um, once again, let's start deconstructing this horrible bullshit stuff about homosexuality of it being wrong it is not wrong and if you're watching this and you are queer know that you're a wonderfully beautiful perfect person just the way you are if people have not validated you and who you are as a person then i'm sorry and you have my validation you have my love and know that you're perfect just the way who you are so let's be nice and love one another and until next time Have a good day.